Well, good morning. An interviewer once asked an Amish man, he said, are you a Christian? He took a second, and then he responded and said, go ask my neighbor. What do our neighbors think about us? Jesus says in John 13, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If you were to invite a friend to join your family holiday gathering for the holidays, would, would, they, see, would they see a family that loves one another? Now, the Brooks family, my family, my parents and my siblings, we really love each other. We're a close family. We're a pretty close family. We, and we really do love each other. But I want to share with you the story of Christmas 2014. Now, that was five years ago, so there's enough time removed now. There's some healing. So you can laugh at my family's expense. That is welcome here. All right, so Christmas 2014. My parents have a two-bedroom house up in New Hampshire. Imagine this. Ten adults. Ten adults. Three kids. Three dogs cozied up together for a weekend in a two-bedroom house. Now, if that wasn't enough, my brother, Adam, in great hospitality, invited a friend to come join us, Anna. So Anna wasn't able to go home with her family for, for the holidays that year, and she needed a place to go. And we were very excited to, to welcome her in. It was great. Okay, so, so picture the setting. We're all there. Leah and I, we've just finished up dinner. We're sitting down at the table still. Everything's finished up. My dad takes uh, the kids. He goes into one of the two bedrooms. And he's roughhousing, playing with the kids. And meanwhile, my grandfather is uh, being passed around. He's on the phone with us. He's being passed around to each person in the family. All of a sudden, we hear a loud bark, really loud bark, and then a scream closely thereafter. So my brother-in-law comes running into the, the bedroom where he hears the scream coming in, and he, he has his son, he's holding him, and he carries him back out, and he's crying. And to this day, we don't know if he got a little scratch on his finger because of the cage or something, or if Harper the pit bull got him. We don't know exactly what happened. It was a little tiny cut. But needless to say, my brother-in-law was very upset. He was very, very upset. He was yelling at my sister. My sister was yelling at him. My dad was getting in the middle of it. It's all my fault. You know, it, it, eruption, crying, tears, anger. Meanwhile, Grandpa's being passed around. Oh, hi, Grandpa. How you doing? <laughs> good, good to talk to you. How are how's things? Quiet. And if that wasn't enough, and I promise you this actually did happen. I actually called Leah as I was writing this down this past week, thinking, did this really happen? This doesn't seem like this is real. But sure enough, it did happen. Leah can confirm this. We were still sitting there at the dinner table, and one of the other dogs was led into the house. Now, this dog is shaped like Kevin from Up, if you've seen that movie, a little wider on the back. So he comes running in, and sure enough, he hip-checks the card table that was holding all of the desserts. The leg popped out, the table goes down, and all the desserts go flying off the side. I kid you not, this really happened. 
And in that moment, I turned to Leah. We were still sitting down. I turned to Leah and I said, I think it's time for us to go. (laughs) I think it's time for us to go. Now, my family loves each other. We have a few family rules. Every family's got some family rules. You know, you don't ever talk about politics. And you don't ever talk about politics. These are the family rules. But we love each other. But I've always thought, poor Anna, our friend. She probably thinks we hate each other. Because when we had the opportunity to show her how a family loved each other, she saw a new version of Christmas Vacation within my family. I like to think that Anna, she, you know, she got to see like a, the real family and it was something really beautiful about welcoming in there. I'd like to think that. I don't know though. When our neighbors see our family, what do they see? How will our love reflect on us? As David said uh, last week, he was able to bring the word to us, Paul has turned the corner in our study of his first letter to the Thessalonians. He's reminded them of the reality that God has been at work. He has done a work in their hearts already. The Holy Spirit has been changing lives. The Holy Spirit has been changing lives. And this is already happening. It's already at work. Their lives have already been changed because they had heard the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And God had already begun to change them. But now, in chapter 4, he turns to paint a picture of discipleship. He turns to paint a picture of discipleship. Now, we talk a lot about discipleship at Community Church. I just stood up here and shared quite a bit about discipleship at Community Church. Well, because it means a lot. And basically, if we were to boil it all down, you know, when we say this disciple word, we're talking about what it means to follow Jesus. What does it mean to be a Christian? When we say this Christian word, you are a Christ-ian. You're a follower of Christ. And basically the word means a learner, a follower. But sometimes we use this word without defining it. And I think a really good biblical definition is right up there. A disciple is someone who's following Jesus, learning to trust him more and more. And so we say discipleship a lot. And sometimes we don't say what that means. And what we mean by that is it's simply the process by which we seek to follow Jesus learning to trust him more and more. So this is what Paul is turning to in chapter 4 of our study of the book of 1 Thessalonians. And what does it look like for this church to follow Jesus? To learning to trust him more and more. Last week we saw that this looked like within the context and the realm of sex. David so eloquently brought us there. I'm so thankful for, for how he treated the topic. But this week we turn Discipleship today is returning to love for the family. Love for the family. And Paul is painting a picture here of how following Jesus calls us to grow in love for the church family. The relationships inside of these church walls. And in so doing, we may earn the respect of our neighbors, of those looking in from the outside. Paul is saying to Thessalonians, and this is our prayer this morning, Love each other more and more that our neighbors may see the hope found in Jesus. And our passage this morning is 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 through 12. You can find it in your pew Bibles on page 957. The black pew Bibles that are on each of the pews, page 957, I'll also have it up on the screen. 
1 Thessalonians 4, 9 through 12. It's the word of the Lord. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. This is the word of the Lord. If we were to boil down these passages to what, what is underneath all of it, it's really kind of a simple passage. It kind of teaches itself. Grow in love for one another. And that's our first point. Grow in love for the family. Paul begins by saying, now I'm turning to talk about your love for one another. Now about your love for one another. Now in English, the word love is... It's a big word. It's a big one, right? It means everything, and yet also simultaneously nothing, right? Because it's just so big. It's broad. But in the original Greek, there were multiple words for love, and the usual one that, that, that most of us might be familiar with is agape. You may have heard this one before. Agape love. And this is selfless love. Selfless love. This is to serve in love. But here, the word that we have is Philadelphia. And most of us know that Philadelphia is the city of? There you go, yeah. Perfect. You know Greek. What Paul is talking about is the love that exists within the family. Brotherly love. What's contained in that word is the love that is part of being blood part of being family. So he's talking about the love within the walls of the church. And he says two things immediately. First, we do not need to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God. And we'll talk more about that later. But secondly, we don't need to write you because in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. You're already doing this. You're already pretty good at this. Hear the tone, just like last week that David talked about. The tone here is, this is actually happening already. We're seeing it. This is great. It's already pretty good. But love is like water. You're like, how is that true? <laughs> Where's the water there? Right? Um, love is like water. If it's not moving and growing and flowing... What happens to water when it's not moving and growing and flowing? It stays stagnant. And can you drink that water? Absolutely not. <laughs> that is filled with disease, with bacteria, mosquitoes. It's awful. A marriage can't survive on love from the past. If each spouse isn't growing changing and continuing to learn how to love more and more, their love will grow stagnant and it becomes a breeding ground for disease. This is true in a family. 
Paul is saying, you do this already, but don't rest on the love you expressed last year. Just okay is not okay. You may be familiar with that one. I've heard that one quite a bit lately, right? You guys seen this commercial? Just okay is not okay. I mean, like, even the cell phone ads get it. If you're not trying to do more, if you're not trying to be better, then, like, it shows. It's clear. The whole concept of love is that it is continuously growing. Paul says you are already doing this, but just okay is not okay. And what does he say? He says, yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, we urge you, to do so more and more. So how does Paul encourage them to grow in their love? How does Paul do this? Verse 11. To do so more and more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you. What? What does that have to do with love? This is like, we've we've transitioned, I think, to a new passage here on work ethic or something. What does this have to do with love? What, What do these things have to do with growing in love? And it's important to take a moment and remember what we're doing here as we study a letter. Right? What are we doing as we're studying a letter? We are studying the correspondences between Paul and Timothy and this church from a long time ago. And it's good to remember that what we're doing is it's like we're opening someone else's mail. It's like we're opening someone else's mail. And in this specific passage, it's actually really hard to know exactly why these three things that Paul encouraged them to do are such important issues in that church. It's important to know that, to name that, and say it's actually really hard to know. It's possible that members of the church were no longer working because they thought that the end was coming very soon. It's possible that they weren't working because it was a very Greek thing to avoid manual labor. It's possible that some in the church were being involved in political activism that was creating rifts between people within the church community. But we don't know exactly what occasioned these three things. But what we do know is that these three things, each in their own way, are actual means for a church family to grow in love. And we're going to explore that. So let's take a little bit of a deeper look. And the first one is make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Some translations might say to live peaceably. The idea here is to try hard to be quiet or still. Some suggest this is the opposition to, the, to Christians being involved in the public square. Oppositions to Christians being involved in protest. And to be honest, there's so many places in Scripture that say the exact opposite of that. That's simply not true. And remember that this is in the context of love within the family. Something was happening within the church family where people were ambitiously being louder or contentious or self-important. 
So let me invite you to imagine again the context of a family dinner. We're going to do this a couple times. Do do any of you have that family member? Or maybe you are that family member (laughs) who just doesn't seem to have a filter. You know the one that no matter the topic of conversation, no matter how peaceful dinner is going, there's always that one person who's got to bring up something, they've got to stir up a little trouble. You could be going in for your second helping of mashed potatoes. Maybe you're going for a little extra than most people. And you hear them say, hmm, you keep eating like that, we may have to build a wall around it. Oh, time out. You know what topic of conversation is about to be brought up. And everyone feels awkward. Does that one sound a little too real? I don't know. Um, Everyone is on standby for war. Now, how how loving is it to try so hard to stir up trouble? Paul paints the picture of love within the church family as including trying hard to maintain peace, to seek quietness, maybe to listen well. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. And the second call is closely related. Mind your own business. Now this feels a lot like the opposite of Philippians 2.4 where Paul Paul says to a church, look not to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Or let alone the many other commands throughout Scripture that talk about intervening in one another's lives to carry one another's burdens. Even the places where the church family is called to discipline one another to keep them within the bounds of God's love. So is this the opposite? Mind your own business? I think we get a little clue here because as you may have noticed, this is the, letter to, the first letter to the Thessalonians. There's a second letter. And in the second letter, we get a little bit of a hint about what this is talking about. He says that some among you are not busy. They are busy bodies. The idea is meddling in others' affairs. Perhaps gossiping. Or perhaps they're being hypocrites unable to see their own failings and really quick to point out the failings of others. So imagine with me again a family at dinner. How loving is it for one to constantly complain about how everyone else does things? Imagine you have the uncle who always seems to say things like, turkey's a little dry. You miss a spot on those dishes. We were waiting an hour ago, or even maybe even worse, the one who leans over to the guest and says, can you believe her? I mean, that's disgusting, right? And like, think of the, na- think of the outsider, the neighbor who's sitting there, the one who's welcomed into that family. What is the picture that that person gets of love within that family? Not a great one. It's one that falls far short. But you see, I'm minding your own business Think about the positive of that. Minding your own business. The third way that Paul says is to work with your own hands. Here's the strong Christian work ethic verse. Perhaps some would suggest this is the biblical opposition to welfare. Once again, this has nothing to do with that. And that's really important to say. Remember, this is within the context of a church family. Let me be clear, the Bible absolutely, unequivocally 
advocates for the widow, the orphan, the destitute, the impoverished, and the poor. We will all go through seasons, each one of us will go through seasons where we will be in need and we will be dependent upon one another because of disability, because of injuries, because of circumstances, because of recession or a down economy. And it is good and it is right for us within the church to not only receive help, but to ask for help in those seasons. But what's at stake here? Paul is stating that there are those who are in some way intentionally choosing not to work with their hands. They are avoiding the work and some are becoming mooches. In verse 12, they are being dependent on others and they're doing so willfully. So how about in a, in a family? How loving, how loving is it for a son, a grown son, who is totally capable of helping in every way to refuse to help with the dishes? the cooking, the laundry, the fixing things around the house. How loving is it for them to simply refuse to help carry the burdens of the work within a family? Can't you see in that context how simple working with your hands flipped around? This is a picture of love. Now don't hear me wrong. Once again, I'm not saying that there aren't seasons Seasons where you may be dependent upon others, where you may be unable to help. We were all there for the first handful of years of our lives. I remember when Lee and I were driving home from the hospital with our oldest, and there was like this sudden moment realization, wow, this child is totally and utterly dependent upon me for everything. (laughs) Like they can't hold their own neck up. Remind yourselves, this is how you entered the world. We will all go through seasons where we will be utterly dependent upon others. And this is not what Paul is talking about. He's saying the church family, you can grow to love one another more as you embrace the responsibility of sharing the hard work to care for this family. It's all of our job together. So at a second glance, these three things, maybe they are about love. These three things are clear ways that a family can grow in love for one another. And what's the takeaway for our context? Paul has just heard Timothy come back with a report of how this church is interacting. And he's saying, these three things mean really something very, very important to that community. So first, for us, we need to hear it too. Each one of these exhortations is a part of the picture of love that we are called to for one another. They are a part But let me be clear, these aren't the only components of how a church loves each other. They're not. And I think the question that we're left with is, so what does it look like for us to Philadelphia? What does it look like for us to have family, brotherly love for one another? Well, the passage tells us, verse 9, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. We have always and forever the picture of what love within the church family is supposed to look like. For the last two years, we've been studying um, off and on the Gospel of John. And the picture of love within the church family has been on display in Jesus. I read it at the beginning. Jesus says in John 13, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. 
as I have loved you. The love of a family is one that serves and sacrifices, gives themselves up for one another. Because we are the ones who are united in knowing, in knowing that each of us have this one thing above all else. The greatest picture of love the world has ever known is is in Jesus. God Himself. That He laid down His life for us while we were yet sinners. That is a picture of love. And love within a family is one that sacrifices, one that serves. And you better believe that being ambitious and being quiet, minding your own business, and working hard with your hands are specific ways of serving and sacrificing for one another. It's really hard to do this though, right? It's really hard to do this. It's really hard to love your own family well. It is. And I confess, I don't love you all with the same life-giving, laying-my-life-down love for you all that I know that I'm called to. So is Jesus' new commandment, is it even possible to love one another the way that He loves us? And that's where I hear the Holy Spirit speak through Paul to this church and to this church. I urge you to do so more and more. New possibilities are open to us. And as we grow to do this more and more, when we love each other more and more, something amazing happens. And this is where Paul finishes up. When we love each other more and more, our neighbors will see the hope found in Jesus. Verse 12 Grow in love, in one, love for one another so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. When poor Anna was invited to Christmas, maybe she found that things were, for our family as we gathered around, were, were actually, maybe it was really beautiful for her. Maybe she respected it. You know, some families are louder than others. And there can be something maybe really welcoming about being very real in front of other people. I don't know. But unfortunately, I think it's a lot more like, likely that it was this way. She looked at us and thought, that's a dysfunctional place. I'm really glad that I'm not a part of that family. <laughs> I'm really glad that I'm not a part of that family. Paul is saying a new possibility is open to us. And even though it's really hard to love one another well. Even though it's really hard to love one another well. When you love each other in in such a way that it shows that the love that Jesus has given to us is so compelling and life-changing and altering that you actually somehow do love each other in a very real and radical way, your neighbors will ask, what makes them different? What is going on in there? I wish I was a part of that family. They have something. And that something is Jesus Himself. Followers of Jesus proclaim to have a hope in Jesus that changes every part of our lives. We say, in Jesus you can experience real life change. But if our lives, if our love for one another, if they're stagnant, then that displays to an onlooking world hypocrisy. But if we are a community that so loves one another, 
graciously with the grace that God gives. If we do this individually, we show that, that we are compelled to grow in love for one another more and more, then an onlooking world will perhaps get a glimpse of the power of the gospel. And they'll say that church is a place where there's love. There's love in that place. And we'll know it's because we're united in a hope in Jesus. And a neighbor who sits down at our table will say, there's something special about this family. They love one another, like this Jesus guy they keep talking about. How do we respond? Love speaks. First off, let me say there, a temptation can arise here. And this is the temptation. To look like we love each other more and more that our neighbors may see our hope in Jesus. And we feel like we are like a family trying to sell their house. You've got to stage everything, right? That's what we call it. You've got to stage your house. You've got to stage it so that any time a neighbor comes in and looks, it looks real good. And I think that's a mockery to our neighbors and to ourselves. You probably have all sat down at a table for dinner as a guest and seen a family interact really nice, but you know there's something bubbling under the surface. And you know what it's like to have a facade shown. And a facade of love is probably more dangerous than anything. This isn't a marketing scheme for love. In fact, what radically differentiates Christian love, love between Christians from all others, is the fact that we can so freely, so freely bring our brokenness right to the table. We bring our brokenness to one another because each of us knows that you're broken and I'm broken, yet we are made whole by the love of Jesus. We're united by the fact that we have a God who loves us so much that He's calling us out from these broken places to leave everything else behind and to grow and to change more and more into His likeness. That is a compelling love. That's a love that speaks. That's actual love. So I want you to ask yourself this morning, how can I grow to love this church family? like Jesus loves us more and more today. How can I grow to love this church family more like Jesus does more and more today? I've been surveying a handful of people across our church with this question. It's been fun, actually. And it was really interesting because a lot of the answers seemed to correspond back to exactly what Paul had to say. So Maybe there's something deeper about these three things. And I want to offer them to you this morning. Just some practical landing places. Perhaps making it our ambition to maintain peace, to lead a quiet life, looks like for us as a church to embrace the diversity in our midst. I have never been a part of a church that was so diverse in its life stages. And I love that. And there is something really wonderful about the bonds that can be formed with people of the same age, people of the same life situation, the bonds that can be made with people who share the same occupations. It's hard in some ways to form relationships that break through those boundaries. Those who are older or younger than you, those who have kids when you don't, those who are widowed or divorced, 
Yet those are all superficial labels in comparison, in comparison to that which unites us. We are united. I mean, the group of people that are gathered here this morning, we have no other reason to be here other than Jesus. And that is what unites us. And this is where things like our marriage class this morning was really beautiful. Embraces non-married. A class for marriage that embraces non-married is so beautiful. And this is where things like what we're trying to do on Wednesday night to invite those from different life stages to pour into each other can be so beautiful. So perhaps being ambitious in our peace means striving to go out of your comfort zone, to break out of your pew, and to cross those lines and to love each other as servants. Or perhaps minding your own business means continuing to be a church family that actually does this really well. I've seen this on a number of occasions really well. That Our church really tries to avoid gossip and embraces hard conversations. Maybe we could continue to seek to love graciously, embracing confrontations with one another when they're necessary and doing so with love, with a heart of service. Or perhaps working with your own hands is a call to serve in our church. There are many in our church who are serving in five different ministries on every Sunday morning. You notice it when, as we're transitioning to worship, there's still people coming from every corner of the church. They've been serving in some place beforehand. Did you know that there are individuals in our church who haven't been able to sit in for a sermon for the last eight months because they have been faithfully serving upstairs in the harbor, loving our kids. They're just playing with our kids. That's beautiful. But yet there's also something wrong with that. (laughs) This shouldn't just fall to some. This is a whole church effort. We got a lot of kids. That's a whole church effort. Perhaps we could grow to love one another more sacrificially through being willing to serve one another more and more. Maybe just being willing to ask the question, how can I help you? How can I cover for you for one Sunday? Let's finish up. Our passage this morning is a call to love each other more and more. That our neighbors may see the hope we have in Jesus. It's beautifully simple. It's actually really incredibly hard. though. We're not doing it perfectly. But when each of us are willing to take on that identity of a disciple, following Jesus, learning to trust Him more and more, and we approach this context of love, and saying, I'm not going to let my love grow stagnant. And if we seek real, tangible, and practical places for our love to grow, for our Philadelphia to grow, something amazing is going to happen. And I'll finish with this story. For some of the church events, we invite our neighbors to come on out. And since I live right here, one of the things I love to do is, is to actually go around with Ella and we hand out invites to all the neighbors. We'll go up the block, around the corner, back down. And it is so much fun to get to know our neighbors. As an introvert, it's a little bit frightening, but also it's fun. And I have to tell you that when I go around, I'm able to strike up a lot of good conversations with people. And you know what I hear? I hear glowing reports. Our neighbors know this is a place that loves each other. For those of you who are our neighbors in this room, and maybe you've been welcomed in this church family, I see some heads nodding, like, you know, 
It's a place that loves one another. In some ways, I didn't need to give you this sermon. <laughs> right? Like Paul. Some, day, some ways, I don't even need to say this. Yet I urge you to do so more and more. Let's give this to the Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, you're the one that changes hearts. You're the one that changes our lives. And we're gathered here to worship you, to meet with you, and to be open before you that our hearts might be changed. God, we thank you for the work that you have done in this place, the work that you're doing in individuals, no matter where we are in the process of meeting with you, God. We thank you that you care so much about us, that you love us so deeply, so graciously, and that you desire more for us, God. We're so thankful for that. Lord, I pray that you would give us hearts that would be open to responding this morning, hearts that would be open to growing. Let our love not grow stagnant for one another. Change us, move us, Lord Jesus. You are so good to us. We are so thankful for all that you're doing in our hearts and in our lives. And God, we also boldly lift up this church, this place, this community as a whole. God, may this be a place that is a beacon of your love, your servant, life-giving love to our neighbors that they may see you as compelling. They may see, see you for who you are, the living God. We give you all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.